Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for a new episode of the A.J. Bruno Show. I'm joined today by Armin Shimmerman. He's a Shakespearean scholar and an incredible actor who you may remember as the very honest and reputable quirk from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Good morning and glad to have you on. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's the first time I've been introduced as an honest and reputable character. <laughs> oh, that's how I say it. So I know as a teenager you had moved to L.A., I'm curious, were you immediately interested in becoming an actor after that? And do you think you would have pursued this track otherwise? Um, I don't think I would have pursued it if I hadn't moved to Los Angeles. I'm grateful to my um, English teacher, Mr. Jellison, at the high school I went to, which was Santa Monica High School. <clears throat> and after moving there as a, um, as a sophomore, actually the first year I, I wasn't interested in theater, but as a junior in high school, uh, my English teacher, Mr. Jellison, uh, asked me to audition for a play, and uh, I did. I had no idea it was the lead in the play until I read the play later on, and uh, I don't do that anymore. And um, uh, he introduced me to the theater world, and uh, and he also sort of introduced me to Shakespeare. The second play we did at uh, high school that I was involved with was Hamlet, and uh, so both those roads started at Santa Monica High School. So how can you describe getting started in that industry, and what would you recommend anyone wanting to pursue it today? The answer is the same for both questions, luck. Mm -hmm. Um, I was lucky to get started. I recommend luck to everyone who wants to go into this industry. There are lots of wonderful actors, very talented actors, uh, who never succeed simply because uh, luck doesn't come their way. A lot of actors who are not so good succeed because luck does come their way. Um, Luck is really a major factor. I know that seems strange. Study, of course, is important as well. But you can study all your life, but if you're not lucky, it doesn't happen. That's a good point. So you had a significant role as Pascal in Beauty and the Beast. What was that like, and was that role the one where you felt your career had started to gain major traction? It depends on what you think major traction is. Um, Pascal was the first recurring role I had on television. That was uh, in the mid-80s or the early 80s. And um, it what it did was introduce me to how to work on camera for the television audience. Uh, it was an enormous educational process. I watched uh, wonderful actors like uh, Ron Perlman uh, perform, and as I watched them, uh, I learned to do less and less and less. Now, the reason why... It, to me, is laughable whether that was the beginning of my career. You have to understand that prior to working in television, I was already a very successful Broadway actor. So um, my career starts in the theater, ends in the theater. Um, I was was fairly well known in New York as a Broadway actor, a young Broadway actor. Um, So um, um, no, uh, Beauty and the Beast was not the beginning. Sure. 
Now, was that difficult, making the move back east to New York to get started in Broadway, then going back west? Uh, did that make the most sense to you at the time? It, it was enormously difficult. Uh, I, I left all my friends, my family, when I moved from Santa Monica to to uh, New York City. Uh, it's a it's a very different culture altogether. I was lucky again in uh, in meeting people that were enormously helpful. Um, and uh, within about a year of moving to the East Coast, back to the East Coast, because I'm from New Jersey. Um, I was fortunate enough to get into my first Broadway production, which uh, lasted a year and a half. So uh, pretty early on in my New York career, I was already working on Broadway. That doesn't happen to a lot of people. Again, very lucky. Um, When I moved to Los Angeles, and it was only supposed to be a short stay. It's been been many decades since, but... um, Mm -hmm. I it was uh, hard because I was very successful in New York and so going back to the bottom most r- rung of the ladder of my career uh was difficult it was a year and a half of uh, a lack of of meaningful work and uh it, Beauty and the Beast certainly was the beginning of my television career I was very grateful for it, it mm. and I also had to learn to do less which is what I learned from Ron Perlman. Um, less and less and less, l- less than I'd ever done on the stage. And and as I, one of the great educational assets of working as a recurring character is you get to see what you did uh, in your early episodes and you say to yourself, a little bit more of that, a little bit less of that. And uh, the next time you're in front of the camera on that particular show, uh, you you learn from your mistakes and your successes, and you you learn that that is what you must do from then on. Makes sense. So another major television role of yours was as Principal Snyder in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, how was the experience of playing that role, and what did you think of your less than pleasant end as a character? My um, I I was called out of the blue to play Snyder. I had auditioned for Flutie, but didn't get that. And um, so it, it was rather a surprise that uh, they were they were asking me to do the next principal. Um, I, I learned, um, again, because it was a recurring role, I learned a great deal about acting uh, for television while doing that. Uh, it was a very enjoyable experience, despite the fact that I was a rather weaselly mouse. Um, it was still great fun. I had a terrific rapport with Sarah Michelle Geller and the others on the show. Um, they became good friends. And uh, I was gobsmacked by the writing department. Uh, Joss Whedon and his writers, Jane Esperson, uh, uh, wrote incredible dialogue for everybody and for me. And that was a wonderful education. It, it was also occurring at exactly the same time that I was doing Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So it, it was a rather busy time in my life for about three years where um, I was either doing Star Trek or Buffy or, or, or any of the other shows that I was privileged to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for my end, um, uh, as Snyder, um, I asked to be eaten. So I'm grateful <laughs> Uh, took me up on my word, and it is a great delight to me that I was eaten by Harry Groner, who played the mayor. Uh, Harry and I are very close friends. In fact, 
I just emailed him this morning about an email he sent me yesterday. And in fact, we're uh-huh. both in a play right now, uh, doing the same role in the same play uh, at our theater, Antius. We often have what's called partner casting. We have two casts of the same play, and uh, he and I are sharing a role even as we speak. Oh, that's great. So before we slide into the Star Trek, uh, I was surprised, speaking of surprise, when I saw you in Atlas Shrugged Part 1. How did that come about, and are you a fan of Ayn Rand? Um, I was a fan of Ayn Rand. Um, I, um, I'm pretty well known in the gaming industry for an Ayn Rand sort of character. Um, um, his name is Andrew Ryan. The, the game is called Bioshock. And um, so I was very delighted to do the show, the movie, and the game. Um, again, uh, luck. Uh, out of the blue, the casting director called me up and, and asked me to do it. And because I was a fan of the, of the writer, I agreed to do it. So your first experience with Star Trek was on The Next Generation. I know you were a big Star Trek fan before that. So can you tell us That's about right. what it was like to finally be a part of that universe? I won the lottery. It, there's no <laughs> other way to put it. I was a huge fan of the original show. Um, I was asked to be part of Next Generation early on. Um, and there's a there's an interesting story about that that connects to two of the shows together. Um, I, I, I auditioned for Next Generation because I was a, such a huge original fan. Um, they cast me as a, not as a Ferengi. Actually, my first job was as a talking prop. I was a what's called a, a wedding invitation or a, a wedding box. And having gotten the job, a day or two later, my agent called and said, Armin, you, you have to uh, drop the Star Trek job. And I said, why? And they said, well, because Beauty and the Beast, where I was recurring, uh, needs you on the very same day that Star Trek needs you. And I said, yes, but I'm a huge Star Trek fan. And um, they said, well, you, you should, you've got to take the job with the steady job, the, the Beauty and the Beast job. Um, we argued. Um, I am the client, so I won the argument. And so I turned down that week's episode of Beauty and the Beast in order to do a very small, tiny part on Next Generation. Um, that small part, that wedding box performance, led immediately, really, within 10 days or a week, two weeks at the most, to uh, my performances, uh, one of the first Ferengi. And, um, and the rest is history. Oh, good decision then. So you then landed the role of Quark a little bit later and did a brilliant job at it. Could you identify with the character at all and see things from his perspective? Yes, yes. Uh, all actors uh, see things from their from the character's perspective. If you're playing a villain, um, you always think you're right. Uh, you should anyway. Um, and I could, I would often see things from Quark's perspective. Um, it was just a matter of being told that was the perspective. And um, I followed it. It, it. Actors use their imagination. Hold on just a second while I close the door so you don't have to listen to my dog. Barking. Sure. Quark's <laughs> um, uh, perspective is not Armin's perspective, but Armin can make himself see it Quark's way. Mm-hmm. Uh, every actor who 
worth of salt can do that. Okay. So Armin wouldn't be a fan of quark then? Well, Armin is a fan of quarks, but, but he wouldn't always agree with quark. Ah. Um, I think some of the people that meet me that only know me as quark are surprised how different I am from quark. Um, hmm. uh, there are many characteristics I believe Armin has that quark doesn't have, and I tend to manifest those characteristics more than anything that Quark has. I, I remember going to conventions where people just assumed that I was like Quark, and that infuriated, it was, infuriated me. Um, once or twice, I, I really thought of stepping off stage because I, wow. I was so flabbergasted and affronted by what people assumed I was, simply by looking at my television performances. No. Some people have difficulty separating the character from the actor, which I find strange. But, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, not giving anything away. A lot of your Star Trek heroes aren't heroes in real life. No. <laughs> not saying any names, then, right? Saying any names. So, no. So I know uh, Little Green Men was your favorite DS9 episode. I agree it was one of oh, the great not. ones. Oh, oh it's not. Little okay. Green well, Men is wrong. not my favorite. It's not. No, my favorite is Far Beyond the Stars. Far Beyond the Stars. That was a great one, too. Sure. Um, what, what was it about that one that puts it at the top for you? Far Beyond the Stars? Yeah. It is uh, brilliant science fiction. It, as what science fiction does best is uh, use metaphor uh, for the current world, and we see it through um, a different pair of eyes. And, and uh, what I loved about uh, Far Beyond the Stars was, one, it dealt with racism, which is a problem in our country, and I was more than happy to be part of an episode that explored that. Two, it um, it pulled back the curtain from celebrity worship uh, in this way. Uh, as an actor, I'm well aware that people think that somehow actors are the be-all and the end-all of, of, of TV shows. I am very knowledgeable uh, in knowing that all these characters, all these lines, all these emotions are created by writers. Writers are the primary artists in, in all theatrical mediums. Um, I love the fact that Far Beyond the Stars pulled back the curtain and showed us that the writers are, are the people that are creating these characters. Um, and uh, they're, they're, that's another reason why I like that episode. Also, I thought it was brilliantly directed by Avery Brooks, and there, it was such a joy for all of us on the show to play characters that weren't our normal characters. Um, my character in Far Beyond the Stars, whose name I've forgotten, um, uh, is not anything like Quark, and a lot of the other characters on that particular episode uh, weren't anything like their Star Trek persona. Uh, so mm -hmm. it, it was... It was a delight to do. Also, I was out of makeup for, for eight days. That was lovely. Oh, that helped. Um, but, but really, it's, it's what uh, the writers and Mark Sikri, who, who pitched the idea, um, it's what they created uh, that uh, I'm such a fan of. And, and it is the best of, of, uh, the best of science fiction when you can use science fiction to comment on social problems. Mm. No, that's that's when it's best for short. 
Actually, before the next question, as you mentioned the makeup, I'm curious. I've heard that the Klingon makeup has caused serious skin issues over the years. Did you have any problems with your Ferengi makeup in the long term? Yeah. No, but there are there are places, two very tiny little places you can barely see unless you're very close to his face, where where the posts where his makeup was anchored on his face, they have yanked the uh, pigmentation out of his skin, and he's a beautiful wow. man. Uh, so, but they're like pinpricks where where the dark skin disappears, and this sort of albino pinpricks appear on his face. Hmm. Strange. So, in regard to the way Deep Space Nine ended, um, did you like that, or in some alternate universe where this actually could become a reality, would you like to see what happens to all these characters via movie or miniseries of some sort? Well, we all hoped that there would be a movie sometime. We've all given up that hope, so or a miniseries. All, all of that is long since passed. Was I happy with the ending? Yes, yes, I was. Uh, I had a problem prior to the last episode, where um, I was, or actually two episodes prior to the end, where I was a little uh, chagrined that all the other all the other characters had had arced into other things, that there was a huge character arc for them. And, and I I said to the writers, uh, but Quark hasn't changed. And then they wrote the penultimate episode um, and uh, where Quark finds out that he has changed. And that was a revelation not only for my character, for me. I, I went, oh, you're right. I have This character has changed a great deal over the course of the seven years. I just wasn't aware of it. Um, and in that penultimate episode, I, um, I, I, I found out the error of my ways. But as far as the last episode goes, um, I was very happy with that. It's a very moving episode to me. Um, and I think um, um, I'm, I'm very glad that the writers and Rick Berman uh, came up with that those ideas. No, it was great. And any other Star Trek series, I can't remember the last line, but your line, how can I even forget that? It was a great one. Thank you. And and it is it was pointed out to me that the, it was purposeful that I had the last line of the of the show because the writers uh pointed out to me when I was a little bit chagrined that um Quark is the station. The station is Quark. Uh he represents the station. As long as the station is there, Quark will be there. Um and uh, that was very pleasing to me and gratifying to me. Makes sense. So Star Trek Insurrection was not one of my favorite Star Trek movies, but you were supposed to be in a pretty funny scene at the end. I don't know if this clip is available anywhere. What was the story with that? I, I, the story was that Quark just showed up with two Dabo girls and and, uh, and comes in contact with Picard. Uh, it was a lovely, funny joke to sort of promote Deep Space Nine. Um, and even as we were shooting it, I said to the director, Jonathan Frakes, an old friend of mine long before Star Trek, I said, why am I here? How did I get here? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and um, and eventually I got a phone call a couple months later from Jonathan saying, uh, you're right. It doesn't make sense. And we're cut, because it's at the very tail end of the movie and because we're uh, we're rushing to the end, he said, we, um, it's probably better that you don't show up. And um, that made perfect sense to me. I wasn't at all upset about it. I got paid for the day's work that I did. Uh, I worked with two lovely ladies who were my double girls. Um, I got to work with Patrick the one and only time that I worked with Patrick. And um, that's, yes, 
Um, and um, uh, no regrets on that whatsoever. No, sure. I do wish they'd release it, though. But I guess that's not going to happen. No, I don't think so. Sure. So you've had many other roles on screen. Is there one that people may not mention as often that you found the most enjoyable or rewarding as an actor? Well, there's one I did recently in the last two years that was enormously enjoyable, and that was on a show called Timeless. And um, uh, that uh, I'm just very fond of the experience. Usually TV works very quickly. You you do two or three takes of a particular setup, and then you move on to the next take. The people at Timeless uh, were kind enough to to let everybody, not just me, but to do many takes of uh, each setup so that, in a sense, you got to rehearse it enough times. You were rehearsing on on, on film. They don't use film on digital. Um, but you got to craft a performance. And because I got that opportunity, I believe that that particular performance is one of the best I ever gave. Um, so there's that. The opposite of that is... People often compliment me on the my one appearance on Seinfeld. That was perhaps the the, the most miserable time I ever had, um, and um, so that's the the nadir uh, uh, of of my performances. Whereas um, Timeless, there are others that I'm sure will come to mind after this interview, but Timeless is the one that springs to mind immediately. Sure. Now, I remember seeing you put that clip on your reel on your new website, and that's a show that I really like. So it would be interesting if they would have brought your character back, possibly. But now, since it's science like fiction, um, you can always come back, especially in a show like that. Um, I'm not hoping that I, I, I'm not holding my breath that I will, but uh, it could happen. Uh, I came <laughs> back on Buffy a year after they killed me off, and that was a surprise. So anything is possible. <laughs> especially in science fiction. Sure. I'm curious, unless you don't want to say, what was the problem with Seinfeld that made it such a bad experience? The people. People. Uh, they were less than um, friendly. Uh, one of the hmm. things I, I made a point of when I was on Deep Space Nine was to be welcoming to all of our guest stars. After all, it's a very strange experience for people to to walk onto any set as a guest star and be asked to to have their characters as fully fleshed as the as the series regulars or the recurring actors who've been there for years and know their characters inside out. It, it, it's a uh, there's a lot of stress on the actor who's there for the first time. So it's it was always my agenda to make all the guest stars, all the day players, as 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 um, comfortable as they possibly could be. Um, this was not. A, this was not done for me at all at, St at no. Seinfeld. Um, <laughs> furthermore, sitcoms are are not my metier. Um, I am a theater actor. I'm used to crafting performances. I'm used to getting a lot of rehearsal and then appearing before an audience. In 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 sitcoms, you get four days of rehearsal where they're changing the script constantly, and all of a sudden you're thrown in front of an audience. There's an old cliche in the theater, it's called the actor's nightmare, where you have a dream and uh, you're in front of an audience, you've never rehearsed the play, you, you've never seen the actors before, and, and you're suddenly asked to, to perform. It's, it certainly comes out of performance anxiety. Um, and, mm -hmm. and sitcoms 
to my way of thinking are a little like that. Sure. So you mentioned giving a lot of credit to the writers, and you've done some writing yourself, more in a, a novel form with a Star Trek novel and some others. Um, is that something you thought of pursuing in terms of screenwriting, or what was it that drew you to, to writing those books? Well, the Star Trek novel was an attempt at screenwriting. It was originally meant to be an episode of Deep Space Nine, but the writers didn't buy it. Uh, the moment we left the, the writer's building having pitched the episode, um, my fellow writer, David, um, suggested we write a novel about it. And uh, Eric and David and I uh, hashed that out. Eric soon left uh, um, the, the triumvirate because he wasn't interested in writing a novel. But David and I continued down that path. Uh, I'll give credit to David. David did most of the writing. The other novels that I wrote, uh, I would say for the most part, are my writing. Uh, certainly the the first two are done with other writers, and that's absolutely true. Um, uh, but both of them uh, have a, a large a large portion of both of all three novels that I've written and published besides the Star Trek novel um, are mostly my writing. In fact, I, I have a fourth novel <laughs> that I hope to get published sometime. If there's an editor out there that wants to look at my 800-page uh, novel, which is probably three novels, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> well, that's a pretty long one. Although you did work on a show that uh, George R. R. Martin was involved with, so you know maybe you look at it. Who knows? Yeah, uh, George and I are still friendly. I see him on occasion. Lovely man. He was our showrunner on Beauty and the Beast. Of course, he's gone on to great acclaim with Game of Thrones and other novels. Um, he has asked me on occasion to be a reader for some of his novels. Um, I agreed to one of them, which I did about a year ago. Um, that the irony is, I, I said luck has a lot to do with the performer's success. He asked me years ago to to uh, help read Game of Thrones, a novel I wasn't familiar with, nor was anyone else, I think, at that time. But and I turned it down mainly because, um, for me, one of the hardest things to do as a performer is to is to read a novel. Is there any, like, what's the reason for that? Uh, um, many people are very good at, at sort of looking ahead. As they're reading, they're sort of looking ahead of what's coming up. I don't know how they can bifurcate their brains to do that, but they do it, and they do it very well. I am not capable of doing that. And so when I start a sentence, I don't know how it's going to end, which means that um, as I'm talking, I'm going, oh, this is going in a different direction than I thought it was going, and, and so I have to go back and do it again. And, um, it's very tedious for me, um, and and so I, I, I've long since learned that's not a medium that I should practice in. For instance, I'm not a very good singer or dancer, so uh, I don't. Although I've done two Broadway musicals, um, I don't sing or dance, and so no. uh, try to push myself in that arena. I no. Well, you're in a Star Trek band, but I'm in a Star Trek band, thanks to Max Kredenchik. And uh, and I, my fear of singing has long since disappeared, thanks to my being in the uh, in the Rat Pack, and um, and I have sung now quite a bit, badly. But 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 my fear of it, my performance anxiety, has disappeared because of my experiences uh, in the Rat Pack for Star Trek conventions. So speaking of conventions, uh, you were also on Star Trek The Cruise this year. Uh, what are your reflections on that in comparison to the many conventions you've attended in the past? Well, The Cruise was lovely. Uh, 
the people who put the cruise together were enormously kind to my wife and I. Um, they gave us lots of time. They gave us a lovely accommodation. They brought a lot of my friends on board, both the actors and the fans. Uh, it, it was uh, the excursions were terrific. Um, Star Trek conventions, on a whole, besides the cruise, are lovely experiences. I, I love talking to the fans. I love interacting with people. I love hearing their their views, not only about about the show, but about their own personal life histories. I've I've heard so many wonderful stories about people's lives that that are moving, that are exciting, that are um, are uh, sometimes horrendous. But but you're always cooped in the hotel either that the convention is in or the, that convention hotel and the hotel they put you in. No matter where they send you when you go to a, a convention inside the United States, um, you never see the city that you go to. You you never get out of your hotel. Um, they they jam pack the day with things to do, which is okay, but it's a rather claustrophobic experience. It's a weekend where where uh, you don't see anything but the hotel and, and the responsibilities that you have. The cruise, you had a lot of free time, and they took you to places. So um, it, it, that was quite wonderful. Hmm. No, I agree. I have that nothing was actually ag- my first. No, I have nothing against Sorry. conventions. Um, I, I love them. I, 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 all, I much prefer the European conventions, mainly because of what I just told you. When I go to a European convention, I insist... Uh, that I stay for longer than the convention, and therefore I get to see the the country that I'm visiting, and I get to 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 be a tourist and and um, see the sights. Oh, that helps. I know you're going to Birmingham this year, right? Yes, and I will spend some time in England because of that. Hmm. Great. So I also learned on the cruise uh, that you're an actual Shakespeare scholar, which I didn't know before. Uh, how did you get so interested in his work, and uh, do you think his work is something that the best actors tend to be passionate about? Hmm. Uh, how did I get interested in his work? Well, as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, thanks to my high school experience doing Hamlet, I became interested in Shakespeare. When I went to college, I became an English major with a specialization in in Shakespeare. Um, I In college, I went to UCLA, and I had a phenomenal teacher uh, named David Rhodes, who ins- inspired me to study Shakespeare. Uh, if you're if you're a little bit later in the program, I'd love to talk to you about David Rhodes and his enormous connection to Star Trek. He he has an enormous connection that nobody knows about. Um, but David uh, was my inspiration, and as I studied the plays, I found uh, great inspiration in them. I also found that as an actor, I had an affinity for that, that I somehow had an ability to convey the sometimes difficult language that is in Shakespeare. I then went on to study with a a wonderful Shakespearean acting teacher named Ada Brown Maida, who was from England. She, too, inspired me. Uh, She cast me in Love's Labor's Lost as well. But, But almost immediately out of college... I, I, I went into the a very famous Shakespeare Festival in San Diego, the San Diego Globe Festival, um, and it was the entree for me into the, my theater career. And for the first several years of my life, um, I was either doing Broadway shows or I was doing Shakespeare festivals. 
And uh, the more I did it, the more I got excited about Shakespeare. But I, I soon learned that I didn't know enough about it. So I began to study not only the plays, but Elizabethan history, Elizabethan rhetoric, Elizabethan politics, uh, Elizabethan religion. Uh, I became um, quite knowledgeable about many things Elizabethan, not just Shakespeare. And my my novels that you referred to earlier are all based on an Elizabethan character. The novel that's rather long that I haven't published yet, that includes Shakespeare as a character, as well as uh, some of the Elizabethan people that I have in my prior novels. It became my passion. And uh, as a passion, it, it consumed my life. Uh, I've studied Shakespeare and the things about Shakespeare and the times that he lived in um, uh, for, what, 40 years now. And and I have used that passion to teach other actors how to do Shakespeare. And you may or may not be aware that I am now the Shakespeare teacher at the USC for the theater department. I am, yes. That, uh, that's fantastic. I saw that. So I'm curious. I know that Patrick Stewart is also really big on Shakespeare. Um, yes, have you and him talked at length about this around. or had any sort of you know, project related to that? Uh, th- there was a time when Patrick was trying to start a, a Shakespeare festival or Shakespeare school, I'm not quite sure what, over at Paramount early on in his uh, Next Generation days. I auditioned for that, um, I wouldn't call it program, but for that company, I guess. Uh, and he rejected me. Um, okay. We've had uh, conversations about Shakespeare for the rest of our lives together. Uh, Patrick and I often talk about Shakespeare and about Dr. David Rhodes, who perhaps I want to uh, talk about right now. Sure. Uh, David Rhodes is responsible. F- uh, as I said, he was the sh- my Shakespeare teacher at, US- at excuse me, UCLA. And uh, he, for years, would bring in young English actors to do work uh, regarding Shakespeare. Patrick uh, made several visits to UCLA prior to Next Generation uh, to work with David Rhodes. Uh, During one of those years, uh, one of the producers from Next Generation, Bob Justman, happened to see him in, in some small performance at UCLA. Uh, he went back to Roddenberry and said, I think I've discovered the captain. And sure enough, uh, they brought him in and uh, and Patrick got the role. Uh, David and Patrick have been great friends ever since. Uh, Patrick uh, visits David whenever he can. Uh, David visits Patrick in England whenever he can. They're still great friends. And, uh, and so my relationship with David uh, is a little like Patrick's. That's great. So what play have you most enjoyed being a part of in the past, and what's one you haven't gotten around to yet that you would like to? Um, I did a play in San Diego a couple of years back called The Seafair, and uh, I love that a lot. I must say that whatever play I'm doing at the current time is my favorite play. I'm, I'm right now doing Three Days in the Country, so... Right now, that's one of my favorite plays. Um, the plays that I haven't done. Um, I regret to this day that although I played in a lot of Shakespearean characters, the one role that I always wanted to play but never got an opportunity to play was Richard III. 
Um, Richard, I, I used to do auditions from Richard III in order to get other work. Um, and I played a lot of the characters in Richard III. I've done three productions of Richard III, but I've never played Richard III. And in fact, um, my original performance on Next Generation, which was miserable, not from them because of me, my choices were bad, were based on a Richard III sort of concept. Uh, if you look at Letek, which is the character I played, the, the, that Ferengi, you will see that he has a little bit of a hunchback and a little bit of a limp, and it's all from uh, my uh, early immature concept of Richard III. Mm-hmm. I think you might have kind of played Richard III in, in an episode of The West Wing. Is that right? Oh, yes. I did indeed play Richard III, mm-hmm. uh, or Richard of Gloucester anyway, um, uh, in that episode, although it's a little like Where's Waldo if you want to find me in that episode. You have to look <laughs> really sharp. My wife and I watched the episode, and she said, Where were you? I said, Well, I saw him, but I was so far in the background that um, uh, it, you would be really hard-pressed to find me in that episode. Sure. And you certainly can't hear me. Uh, all the lines I had were cut. Um, I, I, in fact, when I got the script for that episode, there was no Richard III in it. And and um, and although we rehearsed for a week separately from the regular cast, uh, the producers came to us on the day of shooting and said, We're, we don't have time or money to do this, so all of you are much going to be cut, which we were for them. That's a shame. Yeah. Um, so before we get to our, our final question, uh, I know your wife was also on Star Trek, and that broke sort of a kind of as a curse or just something that hadn't no, happened before. I call it a spouse barrier. Uh, the, right. yeah. the spouses of actors on Star Trek um, rarely got an opportunity to perform on Star Trek. I'm not quite sure why. But um, Kitty, as far as I know, my wife Kitty was the first spouse to actually get a role um, on the same show that their husband, in my case, or their wife, uh, appeared on. Uh, later, of course, um, we broke that barrier again when Nana Visitor... Oh, I'm sorry about my machine sort of starting up. I'm not sure why it's doing that. Uh, no problem. Um, Nana Visitor, Nana Visitor and, uh, and Sadiq uh, Fadil, um, they got married, so they're they they were both uh, on the show already, and and so that spouse barrier was broken again. Sure. So uh, you've been asked a lot of questions over the years, obviously, uh, and you're I think you're one of the more engaging cast members, which is fantastic. Uh, is there one though that you hear so much, whether it's asking about how long the makeup is applied or something like that, that gets tiring after a while? Yes, that one especially. Um, it is. Usually I, I walk out on stage and before even saying hello, I just simply say two hours, two hours, um, <laughs> because I know that question is going to come up. They don't even know what I'm talking about, but those who have seen me before know what the two hours refers to. It's the m- amount of time my, my cork makeup took um, after we settled into the process. Um, but that that is the primary question. Uh, there are, aside from that, there aren't any questions that are, offending or, or in any way egregious. Um, they're just, uh, people are interested. A, a lot of times I know people are asking questions just to make contact. They don't need to hear the answer. They don't really want to hear the answer. They just want to speak to one of the actors on Star Trek. And, and asking a question like that uh, start engages the conversation. 
And mm-hmm. that's perfectly understandable. I know how difficult it is to start a conversation with someone that uh, that you admire, respect, want to talk to. That's a difficult process. So kudos to them for asking the questions. No, no. and I think especially that's probably what makes the cruise better, too. There's so many fewer people and more opportunities to engage as opposed to a convention where you know, they're lucky to get a limited chance to ask a question like that. Exactly. The cruise was... And now it allowed me to talk to more people for longer periods of time and uh, and to have a better time and to have let them have a better time. When I agreed to do a convention, or, or in this case a cruise, I realized that what I've contractually agreed to is to talk to people. That's that's what they're asking me to do. And, and once I sign the paper, that's what I'm going to do, not only because I'm contractually obligated, but because I want to do that. I want to hear from people. I want to hear their stories. I know my story. I, I want to hear other people's stories because other people's stories are exciting. And at times I steal. I take I take from people the stories that they've given me and use bits and pieces of it to form a character when I'm performing on stage or on TV. Great. So uh, what can you tell us about any projects you have coming up? I know you mentioned the play. Um, what else is in the works right now? Yeah, right now, um, my theater company, I help run a theater. My wife is the artistic director. Uh, Linda Park from Enterprise is one of the members. Uh, Harry Groner that we mentioned before is also a member, his wife Dawn. Uh, there are there are many Star Trek actors and, and Buffy people and, and other people that are members of this theater. It's a classical theater company made up of primarily of television actors. Uh, who do classical work, although we're not limited to classical work. So right now we're doing Three Days in the Country, which is a wonderful Patrick Marber uh, adaptation of the the text of of A Month in a Country, which is a a very famous Russian play, the the play that inspired Chekhov to write his plays. And uh, this play is an adaptation of that play, uh, brilliantly written, brilliantly acted by the uh, uh, Antius Ensemble, and uh, we'll, we'll be performing until August. Um, what other projects am I doing? Um, mostly teaching. Uh, that's what I adore doing right now. So I'm mm-hmm. teaching not only for my theater company, but for other theater companies around Los Angeles. As I mentioned earlier, uh, I start my second year of, um, of uh, adjunct professorship at USC as a Shakespeare teacher. Um, I continue to work on this novel that I'd like to get published. There aren't any TV or film roles in the future, although um, I think I can say this. No one has told me I can't say this. Uh, I've also done a lot of animation work, voiceover and animation. And um, um, I'm going to start tomorrow, actually, on the pilot of a new cartoon series, um, based on Ratchet and Clank, and hoping that it gets picked up. We are, a pilot simply means that you're hoping that it will get picked up. I hope it does. But I will be reunited with all the voiceover actors that I worked with uh, on Ratchet and Clank, and that is a franchise I think I've done about five or six uh, episodes of, including a movie that was made that came out about uh, a year and a half ago. Great. So that's a bit of breaking news then. Fantastic. Yeah, that's breaking anyway, news. I- I wanted to thank you for coming on. It was really wonderful to talk to you and uh, enjoyable. Well, thank you. And thank you for coming to my Shakespeare lecture on the cruise. Um, um, I was uh, 
totally flummoxed and, and, and awestruck that so many people attended. I hope that in the course of the time that you listened, that that uh, something uh, wonderful came up that uh, that you enjoyed. No, when I saw it on the schedule, I had to go, and it um, probably reignited my interest. So I'm trying to get through all the plays now. It's going to take a while, but we'll see. It does take a while, uh, a, way a while, but but uh, um, really, if you look through the prism as as we spoke about at that time of rhetoric, um, it becomes a little bit, becomes a lot easier to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I do really well is 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 to make the language clearer to the actors, who then in turn can make it clearer to the audience. Well, that's the best way to do it. Well, thanks again for coming on and. Um... Take care. Thank you. Thank you, AJ. Bye-bye now. Bye. That was Armin Shimmerman. Uh, Really, really great conversation there. Went through his career and talked about Shakespeare, which uh, is always an interesting thing to discuss. So we'll be back next week with a new episode. Uh, We'll be talking to Ken Gauze then, switching gears a bit to national security issues, uh, talking about North Korea. So that should be interesting. If you haven't yet, please follow the Twitter account, at Reagan Worldwide. We will get all sorts of details about the show out and anything else. And so be sure to check that out. So until next time, this has been AJ Bruno for the AJ Bruno show. So long for now. Thanks. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.